we're back. I'm Alex. This is What's the Deal. Um, it's two, two people listening to the, the podcast, all 19 of you. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but to, to all people out there listening, um, it'll seem like uh, two separate days of podcast. But really, I'm recording part of this uh, right after the last one I recorded. Uh, and the first thing I want to talk about is COVID. Um, Florida, obviously, uh, is being yelled at. Everybody hates Florida. Um, you know, because uh, the governor doesn't like the president and talks back and stuff when he should really just fall in the line. Um, I still have, I've, I've yet to really understand how COVID deaths are uh, counted. Um, the seven-day rolling average in Florida at this time is 88. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading. If you were in hospice and had already been given a few weeks to live and then you also were found to have COVID, that would be counted as a COVID death. That sounds wrong. It means technically, even if you died of a clear alternative cause, but you had COVID at the same time, it's still listed as a COVID death. So everyone who's listed as a COVID death doesn't mean that that was the cause of death. It's just that they had COVID. And as I pointed out in other podcasts, they also count presumed cases of COVID as well. But I can pull up Florida COVID stats. And uh, see if I can get a good, a good graph here. Um, let's see. That's not what I want. Let's look for the last month. Uh, I don't know. I'll just go off the one that, that Google has. Um, we'll do for the last 30 days. We can look at the... So that that's new cases. I'm going to look at deaths here. Uh, there was a spike in deaths on one day, uh, but like I read, you know, all it means to be counted as a COVID death is that you have to just have COVID or be suspected of having COVID when you died. And the symptoms of COVID are cough, shortness of breath, fever. I mean, all very similar symptoms of the flu. So, but the seven-day average uh, right now at its highest is 88, right? Uh, regardless of how the stats are and the numbers are come up with, uh, however they're finagled, um, the fact of the matter is um, we can look at the Department of Health, Washington.gov. Uh, they give stats on the amount of people who are uh, hospitalized and aren't vaccinated. Um, so 96.5% of COVID cases from February 1st to July 24th were not fully vaccinated. 94.6% um, of cases from that same time period, those people who died, were not vaccinated. Um, so I, I don't... I don't understand why I'm going to say this and then I'll be done. I'll move on to something else because I'm tired of talking about it, but 
It gets me, it grinds my gears. You know what I mean? Get vaccinated. I don't, I don't, what is the big deal? I don't get it. If, if I am worried about the vaccination because I don't want Bill Gates, whatever, Jeff Bezos, uh, probing me or whatever, or they're beta testing some drug on me or whatever. Fine. Don't get the vaccine, but also deal with your consequences. If you get COVID and get sick, but people who are vaccinated, your chances of getting a breakthrough case that leads to you dying or going to the hospital, incredibly small, very, very small. So I don't know why, if you, why it's being floated around. If you're vaccinated, you have to wear a mask. If you are vaccinated, you should just be able to go back to life. End of story. That's it. It doesn't really uh, make any sense otherwise. But anyways, COVID is boring. I hate talking about that. Um, something I'm a little late on uh, talking about uh, when, it, when this podcast actually airs uh, is something that's pretty important to me uh, because personally, I am a Florida State football I'm a Florida State Athletics fan in general, um, but uh, it was just like not that long ago. Yeah, July 21st, a few weeks ago, um, that he announced he had a terminal, he had terminal pancreatic cancer. Um, but he passed away. Bobby Bowden passed away. Um, it says he won 350 games. That means he's like fourth on the list or whatever. That's bogus, man, because they took wins away from him. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the amount of success and domination uh, has, uh, will never be, be matched. That, that decade between, what was it, like 1990 and then 1999, where it was like 10 consecutive top five finishes and multiple championships and multiple Heisman winners, won't won't uh, won't be matched uh, at all. Even Alabama nowadays, uh, the, the people forget how dominant Florida State was for so long. But it's been a while since then, so people forget. Um, it's really sad. I mean, he was ninety-one, so I mean, I mean, it's one of those things. He says he whenever he announced he had terminal. Uh, illness. He said he's at, he's at peace with it. So, you know, from everything that I've heard, everyone that's ever known him, uh, he's a good guy. Um, it's really jacked up that they took those wins from him. They should really give him back. Uh, it's not like, I don't even, I'd have to do research and look into it. I don't even know why they took all those wins away, but, uh, yeah, the Seminoles won 10 or more games in 18 of Bowden's 34 seasons. Um, but was, you know, there was a, that lost decade in the 2000s. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll always miss Bobby Bowden. He was the coach when I was born, obviously. And I, I, this picture that they have on Fox News uh, was at the Gator Bowl in 2010, and I was there. So that was his last, uh, kind of his last game for the, uh, the head coach for Seminoles. Um, so I'll always remember Coach Bowden. And so RIP, uh, I'll miss him forever. Next thing I want to talk about is 
this show that many of you have heard of called Ted Lasso. Um, it's extremely popular. Uh, I think it's been nominated for an Emmy, maybe? Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. Uh, but I'll, I'll read the premise on the Wikipedia page just for people who don't know. So here it goes. American Ted Lasso, Theodore Lasso, a coach of a college-level American football team, is unexpectedly recruited to coach an English Premier League team, AFC Richmond, despite having no experience. So the series is drawing comparisons to the takeover of Chelsea, or Chester City FC by American gridiron coach Terry Smith in 1999, who subsequently installed himself as first team manager. That doesn't do a really great job of explaining the plot because uh, that leaves a lot of uh, unanswered questions, right? So why would a Premier League soccer team hire, and, and it says football coach, he is a Division II football coach who in one year took Wichita State and won a national championship. And so the premise of the show is that uh, the there's, there's a new owner of the team. It used to be the husband, um, but the husband was like a playboy and uh, committed adultery on his wife a bunch of times. And uh, so she divorced him, but and I guess in the divorce, got the team. And so... She says in one of the episodes that the only thing he ever loved more than her, or in general, was this foot, was this team. So she's hiring Ted Lasso to sabotage the success of the team and hoping that he fails because uh, that would really stick it to her husband. Um, as a side note, kind of, you know, as a tangent, um, I don't, you know, like I get that premise. I understand that. But why would you hire a good coach, right? Because the idea of coaching in general, there are consistencies amongst uh, all sports. There's, there's things that are bad coaching decisions across the board. There are things that are good across the board. Um, and it, and it kind of even relates to the just leadership skills in general. So if I were her... And, and I mean, this wouldn't make the show very interesting. I'd pick a bad football coach or at least a, like uh, a mediocre one to really maximize the chance of failure. But that's a tangent. That's besides the point. Uh, the reason I want to talk about it is because I watched episode one with a friend at his house and it's on Apple TV Plus, uh, which is like $4.99 a month. And so I had heard of Ted Lasso. I'd watched the commercial and I thought that it was pretty funny because I like Jason Sudeikis. And uh, I thought the premise was also kind of funny. Um, but I, I had hesitations about watching it because I thought that they would make the American guy look stupid. You know, he's a dumb, you know, Midwestern American. He's an idiot, blah, blah, blah. Um, but after watching episode one with the friend, I had to subscribe to Apple TV+. Plus and start watching it myself. Um, Jason Sudeikis does a fantastic job of playing this character. Um, the, the character is extremely wholesome, relatable. You root for the guy from the, the second you're introduced to him as a character. Uh, he's funny, 
and he's a really good coach and a good guy. Um, and I'm not really spoiling anything by saying this. I've only watched like, I think up until like episode three and I can say these things, uh, objectively and with confidence. Uh, it's a good show and I would recommend it to, to, to pretty much anybody. Um, and when I say wholesome, I, that's a, I, I you know, legitimately mean wholesome. It, it, he, he is, uh, like an innocent little kid almost, right. But a grown man. Um, and then I think in episode one at the end, um, cause you, you wonder, you know, he's moving from America to England, you know, and he's married and he has a kid, you know, why is his family not coming with him? And they kind of, there's a little bit of a preview into that. He's on the phone, but you can only hear him. And, uh, the part that gets me, it's, it, it really makes me feel sad, uh, and, and, and root for the guy and relate to him even more is, uh, he is talking about um, he's insinuating that the wife needs space. That's why she didn't come. And that he says, I love you. And then he says, no, you don't have to. Um, and so that can mean different things. But to me, that means he said, I love you. And she's like, I don't want to say it back. And he's like, no, no, you don't have to. And I'm like, man, that sucks, man. That's sad. That is uh, that's rough. And so I, I just wanted to bring that up because um, it's, it's a good show, uh, legitimately. Um, and I would recommend it to a lot of, a lot of people. Next is, uh, this was published three days ago. Uh, this is on foxnews.com. It says, Selena Gomez says she signed, quote unquote, signed her life away to Disney as a young actress. I didn't know what I was doing. So if we get some some details about what had happened, um, she said, it's just, it's really nice to be back on TV and it's nice to be cast as my actual age, which never happens. Um, she's 29. That's kind of crazy. It makes me feel really old. She's a 29-year-old performer and, uh, and she's going to continue acting her real-life age in uh who series um and she's quoted as saying i signed my life away to disney at a very young age so i didn't know exactly what i was doing gomez told journalists during a through laughter on friday uh during the hulu panels um but when i was a kid i didn't know what i was doing i was just running around on set and now i feel like a sponge and i soak up all the wisdom that i can there's not a whole lot of detail. It's just really that quote here. Um, but it's, I don't think this is the first time someone's brought up and uh, criticized um, Disney for the way they treat their, their young child stars. Um, but it's not like she made... I mean, <laughs> it's, not, it's not shown here, and, and I'm too lazy to look it up, but uh, I'm pretty sure she probably you know made pretty good money for being on wizards of waverly place um i just thought that was kind of interesting uh next uh is is completely unrelated and just a personal opinion of mine um so there's this concept in, in churches specifically christian churches and i you know i'm sure the concept is similar in, in other religions um but 
my only knowledge of it is from Christian churches. And that's the, this idea and this concept of a Sunday school or a kid's kingdom, right? Where the kids, younger kids, uh, don't sit in with the, the adults in, in, the, in the regular congregation. They have their own class um, where they're, you know, I mean, basically they're indoctrinated, you know, with ideas of Christianity, um, which I think is okay. I, I, it, indoctrination doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I know it has a negative connotation, uh, but that's, I mean, that's what you're doing, right? Um, they really dumb down the Bible and stories in the Bible and they sing songs, stuff like that. And for the most part, it's just glorified babysitting. But the reason I bring it up is because, um, you know, devoting your life to Christ, you know, becoming a Christian, an actual disciple of Jesus um, is something that should not be taken lightly and uh, is incredibly complicated. Right. The, the Bible is very complicated. It's not a simple book to just like pick up and read. And, oh, I get it now. Um, so to have, you know, a kid's version of it um, kind of, I don't know. It just feels like it's dumbing down something that shouldn't be. And uh, so I get I get the premise and I get the idea. So, you know, I'm conflicted on how I should feel about it, but. I don't, I don't like the fact that in general um, scriptures are dumbed down or stories are dumbed down or concepts are avoided or concepts are dumbed down for children, um, especially children who are like, you know, four, five, six, seven. You know, I mean, kids are extremely dumb. Um, they, they, I mean, your, your, your prefrontal cortex doesn't finish developing, which, which involves long-term planning and Decision-making doesn't fully develop until you're 25. So imagine how, you know, how underdeveloped that part, of, just that part of your brain is um, when you're, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, you know, because a lot of times um, kids' kingdom and Sunday school can be a detriment, right? Can push kids away, you know, because they feel like they were forced to do it. You know, they felt like they were indoctrinated. And, it, and it, it just feels wrong. But it can also lead to kids buying in and doubling down and, you know, baptizing, getting baptized and, you know, saying Jesus is Lord and all that stuff at a very young age. You know, as young as, as, young as like 12 or 13, which is, which is great. You know, I mean, it's cool as a, you know, at that point, you're basically a, a freshman in high school or in eighth grade. Um, obviously it's not a popular thing to do. So, you know, just in, in that regard, it's a brave decision, but I, I think at that age, you really haven't experienced life. I think for Christianity, uh, to really mean something, you really have to go and suffer. You know, you look at any sort of hero in the Bible, um, no one had, uh, like this a very easy upbringing where both their parents were uh, religious or church going or Jews already. And then they raised a kid and he did really well and didn't suffer and, and didn't really go through any strife in life because that's really how you connect with God is through those tough times. Right. 
I mean, David is described as a man after God's own heart, uh, but David had a man killed, uh, had made love to his wife, had a kid, that kid died. Like, was not in terms of your typical hero story, had a lot of low moments. Um, so when, when you're 12 and you make that decision, um, I just think that you're not necessarily prepared for the trials and tribulations that are going to occur later in life. Um, it doesn't mean that 100% of those people are going to uh, regret and turn back on that decision. I'm just saying that it's different uh, if you were baptized kind of later in life or you you really experienced and lived life and committed a bunch of sin and you feel bad about it and there's guilt and there, there's this idea of, you know, because when you're 12, the idea of repentance, I mean, what, what does that really mean to you when you're 12, right? What have, you, what have you done? I mean, yeah, you've committed sins like talk back to your parents or stayed up past your bedtime. Um, but like, those are, those are small things relative to adult problems, right? So, uh, repentance and grace are, are huge themes in the New Testament. And I feel like it's kind of lost and or watered down for kids who are that young. So I'm not generally a fan of kids, um, being converted that young. That's just my opinion. Um, and like I said, I'm conflicted. I, I see the, the good and I see the bad. And there's like, what do I think about it? And I, I talked about that. Um, so just something I thought I'd bring up uh, as a topic and something I thought was, was kind of interesting. Next is uh, also completely unrelated is uh, um, nonviolent drug crime. Um, the amount of people in jail... So the amount of people in jail for nonviolent drug crimes and also just nonviolent crimes in general, um, this is according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, um, 46% of all inmates are in prison on drug offenses. Um, when, when, you know, and, and that could be, that could range anything from you know, you're, you're trafficking large amounts of drugs, illegal drugs, to you uh, had more than a gram of something uh, on your person when you got pulled over or something. I just think that um, those people shouldn't really be in jail. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's taxpayers who are paying for these prisons to exist. They're getting publicly funded. And I'm publicly funding these nonviolent offenders, right? So if the state or, or, or the federal government, you know, really wanted to help people who, you know, were arrested with drugs, with possession of whatever, you know, I don't think prison is the solution. I think maybe um, programs where you are put into treatment um, would be better. Right. Um, and that's and that's generally how uh, America's prison system works is it's not necessarily about rehabilitation. It's about paying your debt to society. And, and I get that. Like and, that, and, I, and I agree with 
that approach to people who uh, commit like rape and other sexual um, crimes, like burglary, stealing, um, just violent crime in general, assault, robbery, manslaughter, and murder. You know, like I um, like I don't care about those people at all being rehabilitated and becoming better members of society uh, personally. Um, maybe that's not the right way to feel about it, but that's just how I feel. But when it comes to nonviolent drug offenses, um, why are we uh, incarcerating so many people? It says here 45,000. Yeah, so I mean, it kind of lines up with what the, the federal number was, 46,000. Um and, it's, and it says on this website here, this prisonpolicy.org report, you know, like, I, I mean, 45,000. Um, one in five incarcerated people, they're locked up for a drug offense that is nonviolent. Um, I just think something needs to be done, some sort of reform. I don't have the answer to that, right? I'm not saying just, like, release them immediately as if nothing had happened but to just uh i guess punish them the same way you would punish someone who committed rape which i find one of the most abhorrent crimes that you can commit against another human being i'm not just talking about you know man on woman i'm talking any rape at all um uh i'm not i I don't really know how i feel about the death penalty but when it comes to that kind of crime it's like you know, I could see, you know, like the argument being made for putting that person to death um, or at least like castrating them or something. You know what I mean? Doing I mean, because rape, sexual assault, uh, and, and I'm talking about extreme cases, not just like, um, you know, where sexual harassment in the workplace, right? Someone made an inappropriate joke. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, someone really breached you uh, physically and emotionally, stole something from you, right? That cannot be returned. Did something to you that is so traumatic that a lot of people will commit suicide over or be diagnosed with PTSD, and will never be the same again. Um, those kind of crimes are similar to like murder, you know. Uh, but nonviolent drug crime—they're punished the same way. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Uh, I don't know why I felt compelled to bring that up. I just was thinking about it. Um, let's see. Uh, I started the podcast last time. Uh, with complaining about something that was kind of dumb and that was middle parts and how I hate them. Uh, So I I figured that could maybe be a reoccurring theme, you know, maybe pick a couple things that I hate and uh, describe why I hate them. Uh, This one, you know, I feel like universally most people would agree with, um, but we don't really do anything about, is uh, when people flick cigarettes out their car, when they're done, um, which in simpler terms is just littering, but just the, the selfishness 
the self-entitled feeling you must have to, you know, after you smoke a death stick, I'll take the end of it and just flick it out into, you know, the road or uh, into, you know, on the side of the road or whatever. Litter, because I'm done with it, you know, I don't want it in my car. I mean, you, you just smoked a cigarette, right? Which it, it's not a secret anymore. It will kill you. It is bad for you. Not just like bad in the sense that like, oh, I had a Big Mac. It's bad in the sense that it uh, almost guarantees to give you cancer uh, and kill you. Um, so just when I see people flick it out of the car, um, I wish there was a way for me to just report those people. Right? Because uh, those people suck. Um not, I mean, not universally, you know, not in all ways, but at least in that moment in time, you suck. And, uh, I don't know. It's a struggle for me to not wish ill will against you. It's not like I want to, you know, hurt you or anything, but I, I don't want things to work out for you. You know, when you do that, people make mistakes, you know, people got to learn, but, uh, yeah, I hate that. I hate when people I hate when people litter in general, you know, uh, like when someone's driving a truck and there's stuff in the bed and as they're driving, uh, a plastic bag just flies out. Um, that's littering. I mean, you didn't mean to do that, but I mean, you can't be surprised when you have something just kind of loose hanging around in the bed of your truck. And as you're driving 60 miles an hour, it flies out. So, I, you know, there, there might be a number or something that I can text or whatever, but that seems a little extreme. Uh, I just, you know, I just don't like it. It's a crappy thing to do. And uh, I hate it. Another thing I hate, uh, and this is a little more serious and uh, a little bit closer to um, me personally, um, in, 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 in this this circumstance has a very special place in my heart. Um, women, when they get pregnant, um, right? Pregnancy lasts nine months, generally. Um, but the effects of the pregnancy are almost immediate. Uh, and they only get worse as you get closer to your due date. And it takes a long time to recover from giving birth after giving birth to a baby. So it's like if you were to com you combine the emotional, I don't know, the emotional roller coaster and the amount of just emotional fortitude you have to have to try to have a kid. Uh, maybe that doesn't go well and you try and try and try and try and try. And then you get pregnant, right? You're like, whoo, wow. It's been, you know, we've been trying for nine months or a year and we got pregnant. Let's go. And. You go through, you go to your appointments, you do everything you're supposed to, you know, you don't even drink coffee or anything. You, you, you take care of your body. Um, but I mean, like, pregnancy is very hard on a woman. For something that's natural, that just is, is supposed to happen, uh, it, it's very rough on a woman. Not to mention the, the actual delivery, right? Pushing something that's a watermelon-sized through something that is not watermelon size, uh, I can't even imagine as a man, or I can't relate at all. 
So that's one thing. But for people who have gone through this, uh, they know they 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 would agree that when you go through that whole process, the whole gestation period, you get to the hospital, you're excited, you know, it's the day of, right? You're going to give birth to your son or your daughter, right? That you're going to know for the rest of your life, right? You're going to mold into this human. You have all these plans, all these dreams for them. You've been thinking about it for a long time. You give birth and there's some sort of complication and a couple days later, the baby passes. It dies. That, um, I can't really think of many things worse than that um, in terms of just like, I guess, bad luck, you know? Right? No one did that to you. It just just happened, right? And it's, it's, it's unexplainable. And I, the only point I want to make is that uh, the people who go through that and then recover and, and then have the, the willingness to try again is, is incredible. Because for me, I don't know if I could do that again. So I wouldn't want to try again because then there's that potential for it to happen again. Um, so there's a friend of mine that basically this, this happened. You know, they got pregnant, gave birth. They passed away soon after. And, uh, and this was, and before they got pregnant, they tried for a long time to get pregnant just the natural way. Um, they ended up doing a surrogacy and uh, they just got their baby recently. And so I just felt compelled to shower them with gifts, right? Um, which is like something I'm proud of, but also it's like, I don't know, pump the brakes a little bit, you know? Um, but I just, I just felt compelled to give them special things for their baby because it's a special baby. Um, but uh, it kind of made me feel bad because there's, a, there's another friend of mine who got pregnant pretty easily, uh, pregnancy pretty normal, and then the birth was normal and they had a happy, healthy baby. And that's great. I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or anything. I'm just saying that um, for people who their, their, their baby dies within hours or a couple of days after being born, um, that really sucks. And uh, that's something I also hate that happens. So I want to talk about four more things before we wrap up the podcast. And... Uh, I was kind of lazy um, and I went on Reddit and I picked some uh, posts in the Ask Men subreddit. And so I was going to read the question that they're asking men, maybe read a comment or two, or maybe not. But generally, I just want to react to uh, what they're saying. So the first one is uh, has. 30,000 upvotes. It says, how can you work a 9 to 5 job uh, only the weekends and four weeks per year off without getting the feeling that you're wasting your life? Um, I think first, uh, because this is Ask Men, I'm going to respond to this from a manly perspective. 
if this is a, a woman, maybe I would give different advice. But as a man, um, especially if you're married uh, or, or you're, you, you have a household or you have a family um, and you feel like, oh, I work nine to five and I don't you four weeks per year, which is a whole month plus the weekends. Um, plus, like, I mean, every job I've ever had, you know, you're able to to kind of work with your, your manager or your boss. But maybe that's not always the case. But to have this feeling is uh, kind of weak sauce to me, right? Um, he, he ends his post with, uh, I mean, that's one of the most depressing things I've ever heard of. And I just got done talking about uh, going through an entire pregnancy and then losing the baby, you know, almost immediately after birth. Um, so, so maybe this, this person could benefit from some perspective, you know, um, be grateful that you have a job, uh, work hard at your job, right? People who say, um, you know, it's, I'd rather be happy at my job and find meaning in my job than to get paid more, right? Um, you can find meaning in pretty much anything. If you want to, right? It, it's a it's a choice of yours. It's not like nothing has no meaning. Um, if you just think about it. But so this person could use some perspective, right? Uh, you're lucky you have a job. I don't know. It doesn't say what he gets paid, but if you're the you're the head of the household, right? You're providing for your family. That's the meaning of your job, right? You're uh, quote unquote wasting your life or suffering at your nine to five job so that you can feed your family. Right. And it's not like it's going to be like that forever. Right. Um, there's no replacement for hard work. I know nowadays people will be like, well, that's, that's not enough. That that's a, that's a, a fallacy. It's a false thing that people have been taught over, uh, the decades, it's, it's part of our culture and it's not true. They're wrong. Uh, working hard, uh, and, and included with some other things that I'll describe in a second, there is no replacement for working hard. If you work hard, you stand out from your peers, you are going to succeed and move up the ladder. And if you're in a job where there is no you know, upper mobility, Maybe work there for a little bit and find a new job that does. Um, also, uh, this is very negative outlook on just a job. I mean, it's how you approach things in general, right? I mean, if every time I went to go work out, I just was like, oh, I hate it. It's uncomfortable. Uh, I know that it's like good for me or whatever, like, you know, I'll lose weight or I'll get healthier or whatever, but I hate doing it. That's a bad perspective, right? You can apply that to anything, school, diets, just responsibility in general. Um, If you look at it as I'm wasting my life because I'm not enjoying it based on my own uh, uh, non-objective standards, um, you're doing it wrong. So let's see if I can find a comment that uh, is interesting to talk about. Yeah, no, 
Everyone's just is a, is a bummer. Yeah, oh, at least this guy right here. It's only meaningless if you have nothing else to live for. Exactly. Exactly. It's just a job, right? It is what you make it, just like life, right? Life is what you make it. So that's my response to that post. The next one is, uh, <clears throat> you know, pardon my language, but it says grown-ass men of Reddit. What is the most childish thing you still do as an adult? And for him, it says, I'll start at night when trying to go to sleep. I'll often hug my pillows. It helps me go to sleep when I've not been feeling well. It's also warmer and comfortable for my stomach. I don't think that's childish. I mean, it's just how you sleep, you know. But the top comment says, uh, I still sing the ABCs uh, when I'm alphabetizing things. Who doesn't? Um, I think for me, just off the top of my head, the most childish thing I still do is when I, uh, when I spell beautiful, which isn't like something I spell all the time, but when I do, I refer to Bruce Almighty, where he, he, he goes, B-E-A-U-tiful. So I will, in my mind, think B-E-A-U-tiful. And then boom, I've spelled it. Um, that seems like a very childish thing to do, to not know how to spell beautiful, just uh, just to know. Um, I think a, a childish thing, uh, it's, maybe it's not childish. Some people would find it endearing. Uh, but how I react to just dogs. Uh, I love dogs. I love good dogs. Good boys. Good girls. Just good dogs. And the way I react to them is not manly. In the slightest. It's not something I would be like, uh, you know, this is a, an example of my masculinity. Um, so yeah, that's my response to that that post. The next one is, uh, is, is, is a little funny, but very relatable to where I live. Uh, it says, how do I assert dominance over a group of geese? And it's, that is a very good question. Uh, for people who, who maybe don't experience geese, you know, maybe where they live, geese don't live there or whatever. Um, so it says, I ride my bike to work and there's this path next to a river and it's often blocked by a group of geese. They're either sleeping in the morning or just sitting doing nothing. How do I assert dominance so they get out of the way? Um, let's see some suggestions before I offer my own. Um, this guy just says geese are a-holes and they don't care about your threats. I mean, they're geese. They don't understand English, so your threats don't mean anything. Uh, this guy says pick one out and make an example out of them. I think that's a little, a little, a little uh, extreme. Um, but in general... I don't really experience, you know, the 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 douchiness of geese, a group of geese, while I'm like walking or riding a bike. It's usually in my car, um, and all I do really is uh, just inch my car closer and closer to them at a low speed. Um, so they, so the the choice is in their hands, right? Um, I'm in a car. Uh, and you're a, a goose, um, you you will lose. So if I I'm not going to like blow through a group of geese, 
Um, a, because I, you know, I don't want to kill the geese, but B, it's going to probably do some damage to my car. But if they're like crossing the road and they're moving real slow or, you know, maybe not moving at all, at all I'll come to a stop and then I'll just kind of like slowly roll towards them. And if they don't get out of the way, uh, I guess they die. But I haven't had that happen. They get out of the way. So that's how I assert my dominance. I assert my dominance using the power of technology, the power of human innovation, the power of my vehicle. But for this guy, while he's riding his bike, I mean, you, you're you big and they're geese, right? It's not like it's a, a pack of coyotes or hyenas or, or lions or tigers or something that would, or grizzly bears, right? Like they're geese. Um, just yell at them, be big and loud and yell at them. They'll run away from you. It's not like they want to fight you, right? They're just mean, but they're all talk. They're all they're all bark, no bite. You know what I mean? That's how I would assert my dominance over a group of geese. Um, and it does feel good to assert dominance over geese because they really they really do deserve um, that kind of treatment. <clears throat> this last one is not as funny. It's from the subreddit Insightful Questions. So I know it's a little cheating. Um, to to go to the subreddit insightful questions and then bring it up in a podcast and talk about it, but I thought this was interesting. It only has eighty six upvotes, but it says if certain things and he gives examples like slavery, child labor, male only voting, etc., were considered morally acceptable in the past, but are no longer considered so, does that mean that morality isn't objective but actually in flux? Um. We can ignore for a second the uh, silliness and the lack of depth this person had when thinking about asking this question. He must have just thought of this and then instantly posted it. He didn't think about it more critically um, because slavery, right? Was that universally considered morally acceptable? Uh, No, we had a civil war. Child labor, was that universally considered like moral uh no i think from day one there are plenty of people who are against that and then we banned it male only voting uh when women's suffrage came into effect in the united states who in the united states senate voted to give women the right to vote uh 100 dudes but even bigger than that uh this comment kind of wraps up my general thinking is that it could just mean that people were wrong about some things in the past and it also implies that we are currently wrong about some things now exactly um just because the majority of people think slavery is okay doesn't mean that it is morally good right that it's your opinion it's society's opinion that is morally acceptable right so no Morality is not in flux. There is an objective morality, right? Just because you think that it is or the majority of your peers think it's moral doesn't mean it is. And and trying to, to discover what objective morality is is kind of part of the journey of life and the journey of, of humans in general. Um, but I thought that was... a. Uh, an interesting question because of how dumb it is. Um, 
so yeah, that that kind of wraps up what I wanted to talk about tonight. Um, like I said in the beginning, R.I.P. Bobby Bowden. Um, I've been you know looking at tweets and uh, looking at responses from famous people who have interacted with him. And uh, there's no doubt that he was a great coach and, you know, it's a crime that they, they took so many wins away from him. You know, he, he is the most winning, winningest college coach of all time uh, just because, you know, the NCAA decided that those games don't count. Doesn't mean they didn't happen and Florida State didn't win. Um, but even more than that, a lot of people are saying that his character and his the way he was, was more than just him being a good coach. And uh, I think that's something to be proud of if you're a Florida State fan like myself. Um, but it is sad. I mean, it was just recently, you know, he announced he had uh, terminal cancer. Um, and like I said, he's 91, so it was, it was about his time. I mean, he lived a good long life and he was at peace with it. But at the same time, it's super sad, and it's uh, it's something I you know, I knew would happen eventually, but um, it's not something I I like. Um, so that's kind of a bummer way to end it. So let me see if I can find something positive to talk about, or at least funny. All right, so I got something. Not necessarily, uh, I guess, positive or uplifting. Um, but it is kind of funny to me, at least to me, I find it funny in the Olympics. I didn't know this. I don't know if it's the first time this has happened or it's always been like this, but there are mixed competitions. And when I say mixed, that means mixed genders or men and female compete in the same uh, race. And so there was a, I think it's a 400 meter relay. So the first person runs around, I think, I guess that's 200 meters. And then they hand the stick off to the next person, and then they they are they run the last leg, and that's the race. And uh, and then in this race, uh, each team picks a man and a woman. And so, I don't know all the teams that were in it, but Nigeria started off with their man first, while every other team started off with their females. You know, I'm not sure what, going into it what strategy would be best. I guess. I would definitely like test out a bunch of different combinations and see the timing of it uh, and then compare it to past Olympics. But that's just me. Um, So uh, Nigeria starts off with their guy and the race starts and this dude just takes off, right? As as if the other women are just standing still. He, I mean, I mean, halfway around the curve, right into the straightaway, uh, he's, I mean, at least four or five seconds ahead of all the women in the race. And so he's run. So he has a huge head start. He has a huge, um, a huge lead on uh, everybody in the race. And uh, then they get to there. He gets to there. His partner, which is a woman for Nigeria, and then she takes off with this huge head start. And then eventually everybody. All the other women catch up and hand off the, the baton to their male counterparts. And what happens next is predictable, 
um, but still yet funny to observe and uh, to, to point out. The men in this last leg of the race, they not only catch up to the Nigerian woman, but they blow by her like she's standing still. And as the race finishes, Nigeria finishes last. Could you imagine? You have what appears to be a several second lead in a race, uh, which means if you were to stop for, let's say, half that lead and then start running, you'd still be in the lead by a considerable amount. Um, but surprise, surprise, men are faster than women. I know that might be controversial, but uh, literally it was played out at the Olympics and it was uh, pretty hilarious to watch. Um, I know this podcast, I didn't have any clips to play. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to have an outro like I did last time because I, I just like the way it sounds. I think it, it sounds more professional. Um, but I'm, you know, Mondays are, are kind of a, a weird day for me because uh, I don't really have any time to record until late at night. Um, and so doing research and, and downloading the clips and getting the audio and stuff um, takes a lot of time and time I don't have. So I usually, it's mostly just me talking. Um, so hopefully this was enjoyable. And as always, I appreciate you listening and downloading or whatever, um, even if it's just for part of it and then deciding that it sucks and then you leave, at least you tried it out. Uh, that's all I can really ask for. So thanks for listening and uh, I'll catch you guys tomorrow.